Greetings, and welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Meisler, and this show explores the intersection of security, technology, and society, and thinks about what might be coming next. Every Monday, there's a news and analysis episode that condenses 5 to 20 hours of reading and analysis into a 15-minute summary, as well as regular essays, interviews, and book reviews that cover specific topics. The goal is to give you a concise, curated update on the most interesting things happening in the world, and to explore ideas that give you something to think about and prepare you for what's coming next. All right, starting off with security news. Bill Evanina, recently the top counterintelligence official in the U.S., who has worked both in the CIA and FBI, says the current estimate is that the Chinese Communist Party has the PII of 80% of U.S. adults. He says they're now going after massive troves of American DNA data as well. And some of the possible reasons given for them going after that include just gathering so much data on health-related things that they can beat us to profitable drugs. But he seemed to imply that there were lots of other reasons they could potentially want that data as well, which I agree with. Christy Russia, who was previously the top cybersecurity professional protecting Biden's campaign, is now the federal CISO. So congrats to Chris for that. Homeland Security says the U.S. is facing higher risk of terrorism from domestic violent extremists, DVEs, who they say are motivated by COVID-19 restrictions, the 2020 election results, and police use of force. A new version of Sammy Kemkar's NAT slipstreaming, which is version 2.0, released by some separate researchers, actually. They just added on to what Sammy did. But this new version is able to expose all internal devices on pretty much any port, I believe, to the internet just by having someone click on a malicious link. So they basically embraced and extended Sammy's research. Really cool stuff. Researchers have built a tool called Exposing.ai that allows you to search and see if any photos of you are being used to train facial recognition algorithms. The tool looks across multiple collections to see if your images are part of the datasets, and of course just lets you know where they are, presumably so that you could submit and ask for them to get rid of them. Birdwatch is a new Twitter tool that is a way for people to add notes to the text inside of tweets to add context for other views of that tweet. The goal is to combat misinformation using crowdsourcing, and it's currently being piloted, so it's not fully rolled out yet. The Pentagon is considering using U.S. troops to add speed to American vaccination efforts. They're thinking about using around 100 massive federally-run vaccination centers around the country. I personally am a fan of this. I think this would be fantastic. The U.S. is being given more access in Saudi Arabian airfields and ports to improve its ability to respond to Iran. Technology news. Spotify was just awarded a patent that will let them listen to users' audio environment to determine their emotional state, demographics, and even location. The idea is to be able to guess the best possible music to play, even without being told explicitly. I actually talked about this in my book, but there I was talking about this kind of feature being mediated by a trusted digital assistant and not just randomly by services that we use. 
So I, I think this is actually pretty cool. I just, I worry about it whenever someone raises it and just kind of proposes it as a feature. Who knows what kind of interface they're going to have for asking for permission to do this and that sort of thing. But I actually like the idea. I think this absolutely is the future. Someone used GPT-3 to partially automate their database admin job, including this amazing example of GPT-3 being used to take a question and having it give back a valid SQL response. So the question was something like, and I have a link here to the, uh, the GIF of it. I guess I said GIF. I guess I'm not a GIF person. No, I'm definitely not a GIF person. Now I hear myself saying it. <laughs> definitely a GIF person. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a link here to a GIF of, they type in something like how many users, so-and-so this, and GPT responds, GPT-3 responds with full SQL query that will answer that question from the database. That is insane. And in fact, the blog post that the newsletter links to, and this is a, um, even episode, which means this is a member only episode, but you can, um, you can sign up and uh, get access to it. But uh, the link here is actually the blog post that this is in. It's just a whole bunch of these queries, right? It just shows uh, GIFs of them asking the question and GPT-3 responding with valid SQL code that would answer it. And that just blows me away that it knows enough about the backend data or it appears to, right? It doesn't even have to actually know. It just appears to. It knows enough or it can fake it well enough. That's the trick. It could fake it well enough to be exactly the same. And, and that's really the trick about all these AI tools is they don't know what they're doing, but it's amazing. And so imagine if you could just automate away your job by asking a language model what an answer is and having it give you back valid code so you don't have to write the code. That's just insane to me. Twitter has acquired a newsletter service called Review. So obviously everyone's getting into newsletters and podcasts now. There appears to be a major trend in SaaS companies moving away from pure subscription services to usage-based pricing. Investors evidently like this because it indicates that the product is actually being used as opposed to just purchased once to get the subscription and then kind of not used throughout the year. So the usage-based stuff, if you can show throughput there, then obviously uh, you're making money because people are using it, which means it won't be shelfware and they're likely to renew, which means the recurring revenue is likely to stay high, which is obviously good for investors. And Atlanta has evidently been heating up as a startup hub with funding hitting a five-year high in 2020 and a bunch of unicorns actually coming out of there, one of which being Calendly which is evidently somehow a $3 billion company now. Human news. There's been a coup in Myanmar by the Burmese military. Interesting that they're calling it Burmese military and the country is Myanmar. Maybe they're going to switch it back to Burma. I don't know. But the country is now under military control with Miss Aung San Suu Kyi being held in custody. She was the democratically elected leader. Now she's in custody, in control by the military. 
GM has put the industry on notice by announcing that they won't be making gas-powered vehicles after 2035. So while everyone has been talking about a slow phasing process towards pure electrical and no more gas, they're saying they're teleporting basically to that target in just 15 years. Overall car sales dropped 20% in 2020, but electric car sales rose by 43%. U.S. new home sales increased by 18.8% in 2020, and dual-income earners making a total of $200,000 a year can only afford 12% of homes in San Jose, California. Ideas and analysis. Got a number of essays I wrote here this week. 30 books I'll reread for the rest of my life. So I basically went through my Kindle and Audible libraries for the last few years and pulled out the titles that I know I'll keep rereading, many of which I've already reread a number of times. And I thought I'd find around 10, but I ended up with 30. So got a blog post on that. A more positive take on America's potential fall. So. This essay is political, but it isn't partisan, and it's definitely about security, specifically the security and stability of the U.S. It talks about a completely different way of looking at the fall of the U.S., or potential fall of the U.S., i.e. as a standard pattern that happens when certain conditions combine, rather than some personal attack on our country. Kind of like describing life and death in a show about astronomy just makes you feel less connected to it and feel less threatened. It's just like, yeah, yeah, I guess that's the story of life, right? And it's hard for me to do that as someone who served in the military and obviously as an American. And yeah, it's really interesting to think about it in this way. But honestly, it will lower your stress, I think, if you look at it this way. Also, if you read Harari, if you read Piketty, and if you listen to this guy, who's, I think, mostly a historian, um, and, and I, I indicate where I got this source material from is actually from a Sam Harris podcast. This guy came on, he was a guest and this was very recent. This was just last week and the guy was just phenomenal and he kind of schooled Sam on it, um, in a positive way and just said, look, this is uh, exactly what you expect to get. It's happened multiple times before. And in the post, I basically break down most of his points. There's no transcript. Otherwise I would just point to that. So I distilled out the points individually in, in the bullets, which you can just uh, go and check out on the site. And that's not behind any sort of paywall or anything. So just check it out. Next essay here was titled, Brag About Your Content, Not Your Tools, which is a short piece on why you should look at someone's output and their contributions before ridiculing their tool sets. And the example I use is a friend of mine, Dave Kennedy, who uses Windows and does all his Unix editing in Nano, which a lot of people like to make fun of, especially me, because I like Vim. But it's like, look, um, it's not about the tool that you use. It's about what you produce with it. And uh, he is, I mean, he's an entrepreneur. He's got multiple companies. He's employed hundreds of people. He's an overall nice guy. He's just doing great things for the community and for the world. And, uh, if someone like that can use Nano and you can have a bunch of people like using Vim and static site generators and are just like total tool snobs, but what have they made? 
what what have they contributed to the to the conversation, right? And so this is just uh, honing in on that distinction. And got a Tom Nom Nom Recon Tools Primer, a primer of six of my favorite recon tools created by Tom Hudson, also known as Tom Nom Nom in the Bounty Recon community. So I've liked his tools for a long time, and I pinged him and told him I was going to do a tutorial on it, and eventually got around to it. So that's what that is. Next one here. Wait, are UFOs real? <laughs> uh, so I don't know about you, but I'm having my skepticism shaken a bit on UFOs. Not like completely, but, you know, because I've not really taken the time to actually dive in and look at the evidence. But what I have got recently is a sense that the whole scene might actually have something underneath it. Most of this has come from stories of government groups doing secret programs based on tech that they've acquired somewhere. And I've always kind of discarded that as well. I, I'm just overall very skeptical about the whole thing. Um, and again, this could just be total garbage still. But I never thought I could be this close to taking any of this seriously. I just feel like I keep getting signals from more and more legitimate locations. And that could be a complete fantasy as well, right? But I feel like that's happening. So if someone in the UL community could weigh in on whether there's a there there, I'd really appreciate it. Again, I still think it's extremely highly likely that there's nothing to this. But I'm getting to the point where I actually want to put some research in and get to the bottom of it and close the book or leave it open and wait for more evidence. Next one. Kind of similar, actually. Uh, the Chinese lab COVID conspiracy. So a number of people have pinged me about this, and we actually talked about it in our book club today, which was awesome. We did the UL book club on the book Homeland. We had a 90-minute conversation about tons of topics. It was super fun. Really enjoyed it. But anyway, similar to the UFO stuff, but kind of not really similar are all these rumors about whether COVID came from a Chinese lab. So we, yeah, like I said, we talked about this in the UL book club. The way I see this situation is that we're lacking a real conversation around this because it's a taboo subject. And it's taboo because even mentioning it is highly adjacent to actual conspiracy theories, like being anti-vax or being super racist and blaming COVID on anyone who looks Asian in the U.S. And because of that stupidity, Nobody wants to have a rational conversation about COVID and lab testing in China. The way I see it, there appear to be labs that work on modifying coronavirus to make it more deadly. And they have actually had issues with getting out before. This has happened in the U.S. as well. And there's like a, whatever, there's a level four lab, like right next to the wet market where this thing was found. Right. So there are certain coincidences there that there could be absolutely coincidences. Right. I mean, that's just the way life works is there are a million coincidences happening all the time and there's no conspiracy involved. So strictly speaking, this is a topic worth exploring. The problem is nobody is having the conversation, in my opinion, the right way, or at least that I've seen. But admittedly, I've not like done a deep dive on it or anything. So maybe someone has already opened this book and closed it conclusively. But to me, the way to do this is to have all the experts 
get into a room and review the evidence and to have experts give odds based on their opinions, like in the book Super Forecasters, which I talk about a lot. But instead, we have random podcasters screaming that it's either conspiracy that's being covered up or it's absolutely false, which doesn't help anyone. Personally, it wouldn't surprise me at all if it didn't come out of a lab in any way, or if it accidentally did come out of a lab, or if China, air quote, accidentally did it on purpose to harm the world's economy relative to their own because they knew they would get control of the virus faster than the rest of the planet. The weaponization option seems the lowest chance to me. The natural occurrence, just happening naturally in nature, seems the highest chance by far, like over 95%. And the accidental release seems somewhere in the middle. But that's just my analysis as a non-expert who hasn't even studied the evidence closely. What we absolutely need to do is get a collection of experts together and have them do the same type of review with all the evidence in front of them combined with their expertise. And I just don't see that happening. I, I see people like Eric Weinstein talking about, oh my God, we have to look at this because it's amazing and it's true, or it has a high chance of being true. And then you have tons of more experts not even touching the conversation because it's too adjacent to complete lunacy. And uh, I don't know. I, I just don't think that's healthy. I, I think. Open air is what uh, kills this type of situation. And uh need to focus this. I, I heard that this week in virology had talked about it and sort of dismissed it. That was actually in the link that's in the newsletter. Uh, one of the main guys over there said this is total bunk. So that's, that's pretty strong in my mind. But I, I wonder what their current opinion is, and if um, that's kind of the general consensus from all the experts there. And if it is, that, well, then I consider the issue closed. But um, based on this article that was in the New York Post, I believe, it seems like it might be a, still an open conversation. But uh, yeah, if anyone has any more clear-cut detail on that about the book actually being closed or being open, definitely let us know. My updates, looking for additional products or services to include in the discovery section. Basically, the standard for this is something that you just absolutely love and few people know about. For me, it's like my everyday carry razor knife that I've talked about in the past. I can't remember the name of it. Um, or CrowdSec, which is like a, um, a replacement for a fail to ban, which I've been wanting to replace for a long time. Or like if you have a firewall that you've used since like 2005 and you just love it, like send those in to me. Um, or like a wine recommendation app or your fam favorite wallet brand because it's really minimalist or whatever. Like, I don't know. I just like trinkets like that. Like best of breed, best coffee grinders, wallets. Um, it's like gadgets and gizmos, but not necessarily tech. Could also be lifestyle stuff. Whatever. So if you have a favorite item or service that you would like us to highlight in Discovery, please let me know because I'm looking for like a good stable of these um, that, that I could surface. Uh, and most of them will just be completely not supporting the show. Uh, I will reach out to a couple of them and say, hey, do you want to support the show? But if they don't, honestly, I'm probably just going to mention them anyway. It's a horrible business model, I know. But. That is uh, 
a thing that I really want to do with discovery. Um, I really wish other people did this. I really wish there was a newsletter I could follow that was just like the coolest, awesome products ever. Like there's a bunch of websites that do this, but they tend to just have everything up there. So it's not actually curated. It's just like a giant list of junk I don't really need. Okay. And we still have around 22 of you who are receiving the odd or public newsletters, but not the subscriber one, which are even numbers, like this week's episode. And I'm still troubleshooting this with MailChimp and Memberful, who are currently doing like a Spider-Man meme where they're like pointing at each other. So hopefully I'll have that solved soon. But in the meantime, you can also just get the latest member episodes at danielmiesler.com slash members. And all of the member episodes are there, so that's another way to find it. Or you can just email me, and I'll, I'll send you the link, and uh, I should have that solved soon. Discovery. All right, so CrowdSec that I was talking about before, the modern fail-to-ban replacement, they have a new published getting started guide that takes you from all the way from installing to blocking malicious traffic. So I'm about to go through this and do a bunch of blocks on the site based on this. So you should definitely check that out. The Great Unbundling, Ben Evans' annual presentation on tech trends, which is not to be missed. It's 138 slides. He actually presents it in 30 minutes, which is insane. He talks really fast, though. But really cool presentation. It's one of the two tech presentations that I absolutely love to see every year. Intercepting SSM Communications. The Historical Dictionary of Science Fiction, a Starlink Satellite Tracker, a Twitter thread on tunneling and port forwarding, Cory Doctorow on intellectual property, and a Twitter thread on explaining the Reddit short squeeze. Really, really cool Twitter thread on this that kind of goes into detail. I I love these uh, Twitter threads that just break down a topic really clearly. And the recommendation for the week. Here is how to safe list this newsletter, or really any newsletter, to make sure it doesn't get flagged or moved within various email clients. And I uh, got this tip from uh, another newsletter I just signed up for. And uh, yeah, this is what you could do to make sure you don't miss uh, newsletters that you're getting, which I'm sure anyone listening to this is probably getting many of them. And the aphorism for the week. The future is purchased by the present. The future is purchased by the present. Samuel Johnson.